Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. In today's world, people feel lost in a sea of ideas. Which ones should we accept? Stay tuned because you're listening to Veracity Hill. Striving for truth on faith, politics, and society. Here is your host, Kurt Jarris. Well, a good day to you, and thanks for joining us here for another episode of Veracity Hill, where we are striving for truth on faith, politics, and society. Very nice to be with you here, episode 188, and we are beginning our countdown to episode 200, which should appear, uh, Mark, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's going to be... uh, May 9th, I believe, is the, the date Sounds about to, right. to keep in mind. It's in May. It's in May, yep. And I've been working on uh, coordinating an interview with a special guest. Uh, and so uh, we've got uh, um, some, some fun news ahead uh, for the program. So be sure to follow along with us. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or the, or the Google Play Store. You can even subscribe to our YouTube channel because we've almost completed all of what we've called the legacy uh, episodes, the older episodes. We've almost caught up. Chris, we're probably about, what, maybe eight episodes away from catching up, so yeah, maybe in the next less. couple weeks here we'll, we'll be up to date and start simul-streaming to Facebook and uh, YouTube. So looking forward to that. Exciting times uh, ahead for Veracity Hill. Uh, well, if you don't yet already, you can join our texting plan. Text the word Veracity, that's V-E-R-A-C-I-T-Y, to the number 555-888, and you'll get some text updates from me, and it's an opportunity for you to uh, send some show requests or ask a question for uh, an oncoming guest of the program. I'd love to hear from you as well. And be sure to get our RSS feed updates from our website. So if you don't want to miss an episode that way, uh, you can subscribe to our website as well. We'd love to have you join uh, that list. Well, on today's episode, uh, we're talking about um, uh, the importance of conversation in the body of Christ. And this is something that uh, is important to me because I started this podcast to help Christians learn to think uh, better about issues, to expose themselves to ideas which they may be uncomfortable with, uh, ideas which may be new to them, or you know, ideas they had never even considered had any merit to them. Maybe, maybe they're better ideas after all, and it makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. And uh, in doing this, I, I have found from my own experience that it makes talking about these topics with others easier. Uh, we become a bit more uh, aware and open to ideas. We have some intellectual humility that we have gained through our experience in thinking about these uh, heady uh, topics. Uh, but of course, as many of our followers know here, I, I try not to make the program all that heady. Um, so there are some episodes, unfortunately, that get away from <laughs> that goal. But by and large, we try to keep things very accessible and easy to understand. And so uh, this is, uh, I believe, going to be one of those episodes. And so very excited. Uh, our guest today is C. Christopher Smith, and he's the author of How the Body of Christ Talks. Uh, it's Recovering the Practice of Conversation in the Church. C. Christopher Smith is the uh, founding editor of the Englewood Review of Books. He's a community developer and a writer of several books as well. Christopher, thanks so much for joining us on our program today. Oh, uh, Christopher, we've lost your audio. Um, I'm, I think maybe your microphone input uh, has changed, but we'll, uh, as you work on that, uh, I can talk a little bit more uh, about the book. It's been endorsed by Scott McKnight, among others. That's a big name. Uh, and uh, I'm told that maybe you're, you're set again with the audio. Hello? Yes, okay. Can you hear me, Kurt? Yes, now we can hear you. <laughs> Great. All right, so thanks for joining us on the program. Very excited to um, talk with you about your new book. Uh, And so tell me, uh, you have been, this is part of your experience here. You've been doing this sort of thing, having conversations. So this book hasn't sort of come out of armchair 
thinking. It's really come out of lived experience, hasn't it? Definitely. T- tell me more. Tell me about your background. What got you interested in, in this type of uh, ministry work and the lessons that you've learned along the way? So, yeah, a lot of the things that I cover in this book uh, come out of our experience as a church uh, here at Anglo and Christian Church on the near east side of Indianapolis. Back in the early 1990s, uh, like a lot of churches, evangelical-type churches, we had a Sunday evening worship service that was pretty rapidly dying off. Okay. Um as it did in a lot of churches of, of that time. Uh, but we were weird uh, in that we didn't want to give up being together on Sunday nights, even mm-hmm. though we knew we couldn't continue to do the same sort of worship service that we'd always done. Um, so somebody had the idea, why don't we circle up chairs in one of our multi-purpose rooms and have a conversation together? Um, and we didn't know what we were doing, um, and there wasn't like any uh, kind of grand plan, uh, really. Um, but... Uh, but we started with a question of uh, that came from a Sunday school class or a sermon or something. Sure. Uh, nobody can exactly remember where it came from after all these years. But uh, but the question was, what is the gospel? And, of course, that was obviously a very uh, kind of vital question for us as evangelical-type folks, um, very central to our identity. Uh, but we rapidly f- realized that even within our congregation, we were kind of all over the map in how we answered that question. And it made the conversation really messy uh, and things got heated. And um, uh, and those early years of the conversation uh, were uh, pretty intense. People yelling at each other, people being brutally sarcastic with each other. Uh, some people left church. Uh, some people stayed part of the church but steered clear of those Sunday night conversations. Uh, so, yeah, it was a big mess. And, and of course, I, sh- I should just emphasize that this was in the early 1990s, really pre-internet, definitely pre-social media. Yeah. Um, but we very rapidly realized, even at that point, that we didn't know how to talk together. Mm. Uh, we had been formed by a culture that had lost a lot of the capacity for conversation. Uh, so anyway, we've kept, kept at it week after week uh, over the last almost 25 years now. And uh, it's still a, probably one of the most important things that we do together. So, the, um, we, so of course, we have a Sunday worship service, um, and that's really important too. But conversation has really kind of shaped us and helped us to make discernments about uh, who we are and what uh, God is calling us into. Uh, and <clears throat> and conversation, even though we have this kind of intentional uh, space for conversation weekly for about an hour or so, um, conversation has also kind of bubbled up in a lot of other uh, parts of our life together. We started a number of diff- different businesses over the last 20 years or so, um, and we probably wouldn't have been able to sustain those if it weren't for our practices of conversation. Mm. Um, And, of course, all of those create lots of different opportunities uh, for us to uh, talk with one another and talk with people that are, are, uh, for lack of a better word, customers of the businesses that we have, um, businesses we have. So, So anyway, that's kind of where I'm coming from. It's been, it's been, uh, really important for us, really transformative for us. I guess kind of the the gist of the story is um, that uh, that we've gradually, gradually and slowly gotten uh, better at conversation as we've continued to practice it, uh, and um, and the form that that's taken uh, has been that we don't kind of all magically agree about everything. Uh, we still are fairly diverse in the ways that we think and talk about things. Uh, but what conversation has done for us is helped us has helped us to trust and to know one another uh, and to be able to to work together even when we don't always completely agree on about why something should be done or how it should be done. Uh, we trust one another uh, to, to be able to work together. And I think that's something that's missing uh, in a lot of churches and missing certainly in the culture at large. Yeah, right, right. Okay, so I, I want to go back here and, and ask you some questions about this group. Uh, are we talking a small group of like five people or like 40 people or bigger than that? Uh, even bigger than that, um, typically, I mean, we've kind of fluctuated some, um, probably typically 50 to 75 people. Okay. Uh, again, like I said, there's fluctuates. Really, we would love for it to be kind of all the all the adults in the congregation. We're a congregation of about 200-ish uh, people, um, and so maybe... Maybe 150 adults, yeah, uh, or so. Um, so probably, and on any given week, we have about a third to a half of the adults. 
now some of the other adults are kind of out uh, working with children sure. um, during that time, but uh, but but anyway, that's a bit. So sociologically, it's probably uh, too large of a group to really have effective conversations <laughs> together. Um, and we do some things. I mean, sometimes we break into smaller groups, uh, and that's that's really effective. Uh, for hearing from more people, mm. uh, certainly some of the people are some people are less comfortable kind of talking in the big group, um, uh, but breaking into smaller groups uh, gives them opportunity to say what's on their mind and to ask questions that that they're thinking and so forth. Um, so we do try to uh, we think it's really important that everybody be able to participate. Uh, so sometimes we facilitate that by breaking into smaller groups. It's fascinating that it's fasc- uh, you said this was in the early '90s, and you know, pre-social media, the, the big concern now today is that um, people have forgotten how to have a real conversation because they're so <laughs> enveloped in their smartphones. Um, you know, you think when you go on a, on a subway train uh, or commuter train, you know, people are just, you know, doing this instead of striking up a conversation. So you guys sort of serve as a, a, um, a case study, if you will, uh, maybe for how we can move forward and uh, in the world of technology, in the growing world, developing world of technology, we can take some of the things you guys have learned um, and apply it to our, our new context, if you will. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. And I think also one of the other interesting things about this um, that I didn't write a whole lot about in the book, but in some of the workshops that I do uh, with churches and so forth, I kind of talk about the history and kind of how we got into this place and technology really kind of smartphones and social media is really only the latest chapter uh, in kind of probably a history of maybe 500 years or so of uh, fragmentation throughout the modern age mm. of breakdowns of the communities uh, that have really uh, helped us talk together and helped us uh, understand what it means to to belong uh, to, uh, to a group. Um, so there's a wonderful kind of kind of a classic of sociology. Uh, by a Harvard sociologist uh, by the name of Robert Putnam. Uh, the book's called Bowling Alone. It came out in about 2000, I think. Uh, really kind of pre, again, pre-social media. Uh, but uh, he kind of, the, the title image of the book basically is that when he was doing his research in the 90s uh, for the book, uh, more people, he found that more people were bowling than ever, uh, but bowling leagues were really struggling. Hmm. Uh, and he, he took this as kind of a, a symbol of kind of, uh, a lot of what was going on in culture over the the 20th century or the latter half of the 20th century at least, uh, that uh, a lot of the kind of social groups that people had belonged to uh, in previous generations were really struggling and a lot of uh, places kind of completely falling apart. Uh, things from, from sports leagues to uh, groups like the Kiwanis or Elks or whatever um, – to, to churches, uh, to neighborhood organizations, um, that that a lot of these things had, a lot of these groups were in decline over the 20th century and kind of even accelerating uh, that decline uh, as we approached uh, the, the turn of the millennium. Uh, so, so, and I mean, I think one good example um, that kind of points to kind of the breakdown of conversation uh, is the decline of the family dinner table, ah, uh, just yes. as kind of the econo- socioeconomics of the culture that we live within just kind of moves faster and parents are working later and kids have lots of activities at school and mm-hmm. so forth, uh, that the, the dinner table is becoming a lost uh, institution. Uh, and as a number of people have kind of noted that that really uh, hinders so much, especially from childhood onward, our ability to talk together and the ways that we learn the the arts and graces of, of talking together happens happens around the dinner table, or ha- in g- previous generations did. Yeah, uh, and we suffer uh, culturally from from the loss of that. Uh, I, I know I haven't brought you on to talk politics, which we have some episodes from time to time. <laughs> uh, but but I'm I'm a Lockean politically, and John Locke believed that the family was the fundamental building block of a society. So when you talk about sure. the the problem there with the loss of the family dinner table, I mean you are you are playing my song. Um, that is <laughs> that, that is extremely uh, relevant to to my concerns. You know, for example, the rise of uh, single parents. Um, you know, a single parent may have to work, and the kids 
kids than maybe eat alone or they eat with a grandparent. But it's not the same thing uh, as as you know having sitting down and having a meal together as a family on a regular basis. So. Uh, absolutely fully agree there and I'm glad that it sort of lines up you know the concerns I have you're also discovering in in you you know your area here um and so uh yeah no so you won't find any qualms from me on that and it is it is a problem um that we are we are losing uh the the art and science of how to have a conversation and how to have conversations well even um so maybe that we need to take a step back and say, what are the dynamics to a conversation? <laughs> what would you say about that? What are the essential features and um, relevant factors to having good conversation? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it, uh, I mean, certainly, uh, and it's a bit odd that I would say this as we are kind of talking together across the internet right now. But I mean, I think face to face conversation uh, is is the ideal. <laughs> um, but uh, but but I will say, I mean, uh, being able that being that we're able to see one another here uh, certainly uh, is a more a, a fuller sort of communication, a fuller sort of conversation uh, than just uh, kind of going by audio. Mm. Um, or by uh, kind of swapping swapping texts or uh, chatting via text or whatever, um, that kind of uh, each of those kind of uh, basically kind of what we're looking at is uh, presence uh, and mm. a face to face presence is um, probably as I said the ideal, but but each of those other technologies has a has a decreasing uh, level of, of presence in it uh, with kind of uh, texting or chatting over text uh, kind of being the, the least uh, sort of presence um, uh, and audio having a little bit more presence than that and kind of video uh, even a little bit more than that. Uh, so, uh, so though even though in a conversation we're exchanging words and ideas, I mean, those are important, uh, but, uh, but there's a lot more going on uh, in all of our nonverbal sort of communication. Yes, right. Okay, man, lots to say. So like with texting, yes, it serves a purpose, it serves a function, but there are some serious shortcomings, especially if you want to talk about serious things. You don't want to be texting um, about that stuff. Um, and the face-to-face is good, but even then, and, and, and maybe to go a little bit into the psychology of, of conversations, you could be face. we could be sitting in the same room and someone could still be mentally absent. Like, there they are, we're supposed to be talking about this, and you're not here with me. Uh, yep. <laughs> you know? Uh, Thinking about something else or whatever. Right, right. Maybe something's distracted someone, uh, or they just don't want to be there. Like, you could think, like, couples counseling or something like that. <laughs> um, yep. So, yep. Yeah, or but, even thinking about what we're going to say in response, uh, I think that uh, certainly uh, is a temptation uh, that helps us, that distracts us from being fully present in a conversation. Right, looking to score a response point um, instead of really yeah, sitting and listening and absorbing what the other person's saying. In, in, in philosophy and logic, um, when you... Um, want to depict your opponent as someone other than they're not. That's called a straw man. And so uh, mm-hmm. there, there's an interesting growing movement in uh, apologetics of coining a term called steel man. When you steel man <laughs> someone, you want, you want to present the best uh, case that you think reflects your opponent's position because then, then they can't say, oh, well, you didn't understand me, right? It's really important that we... Um, make steel man arguments um, that we understand the other person where they're coming from what they really believe because in that sense too aside from the intellectual argument standpoint the person feels like they're heard and understood and and i mm-hmm. think that's probably really good in terms of validation for someone that they are known yeah i think exact exactly what you're naming there is like I think one of the, some of the best things that we've learned in our 25 years of of conversation uh, that that fundamentally uh, the connections that are made as we actually uh, learn to see and to hear one another 
uh, and to uh, to understand and to represent uh, where one another are coming from uh, in the the best possible, the most charitable uh, sort of ways. Um, I think that's uh, again we we don't still even after twenty five years don't always do that all of the time, uh, uh, but uh, but we're learning uh, we're learning to do that better, uh, and I think that's kind of the. Some of the best the best parts of conversation is not kind of uh, trying to, uh, especially conversation within the church, mm. uh, when we're not um, trying to uh, uh, engage in debate or whatever, but uh, but really uh, trying to uh, uh, hear, see, and hear one another, and to uh, try to figure out what what God's up to in our midst. Yeah, yeah, or I can imagine. Um when there's a uh, interpersonal conflict of sorts, um, the value that truly listening can, can bring for someone. I, I, my first thought is, you know, my marriage. Michaela would, might be the first to say, yeah, you practice what you preach uh, on today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> so there can be that temptation uh, to not do that. And as, as you said, Christopher, that we're all still working on it and it's a work in progress. Um, but let me ask you this. So in your experience, um, you've, you've come across people that are fighting. You said there was yelling in the, these groups. How, how can conversation, um, when it's done well, serve as a healing function for, for people and their relationships? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think a, a large part of the way I'd answer that question is kind of just what I what I said that that uh, healing uh, for us we found anyway uh, comes as we are uh, as we are seen and heard uh, and as I mean we were created uh, in the image of God to uh, to know as we are known and uh, to be known um, uh, and uh, and then that's fundamentally what's happening happening in conversation and uh and a lot of the the pain that we bear uh is uh the pain of of uh fragmentation of uh of ways that that we've been wounded uh and others others that we all have been been wounded uh, and to be able to to have others that um are are learning to uh to walk with us uh, in that pain mm. uh, is is part of what's happening in conversation, and I think there's something wonderfully wonderfully healing about that. And to to know how to to work together, our bodies kind of the central metaphor of this book, and kind of it's in the title, uh, but maybe a little subtly there. Uh, but the central metaphor of this book is the human body, uh, and our we exist uh, in our human bodies as kind of the Paul the Apostle Paul intuited uh, even in the the first century. Uh, he was kind of pretty advanced uh, in his understanding of how the the human body worked. Uh, that our bodies work as a conversation uh, of our parts, and two thousand years of science later has only kind of uh, driven that point home even further. Um, and uh, and but but our bodies as a conversation are not just kind of sitting idly by and chatting. They're they're conversations in motion. Um, that uh, our bodies are always uh, reacting to the forces that are exerted upon them, gravity, of course, uh, and lots of other uh, economic and social uh, forces, mm. relational forces uh, that are exerted upon us. Uh, but, but the thing about our bodies are that, I mean, if we have, uh, if we have pain in our body, um, the body kind of adjusts to accommodate that. And I think that's what... What happens when we do conversation well? Uh, that we learn to to work together as a body. We learn to adjust uh, to the pains and the wounds uh, that our members have, uh, and uh, to to find ways to uh, to not to kind of expel them from the body, but to to work with them and for find ways for them to work, uh, kind of in spite of um, the wounds that they bear and or the wounds that we bear, because it's, it's all of us. Um, we're all either either wounded or immature. Um, uh, immature in the sense that uh, we don't we don't know how to work together together well. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of what a like a baby or a toddler um, 
their their muscles and bones, all the parts of their body aren't well coordinated yet. Uh, so there's things that they can't do simply just because they're immature. Um, uh, so so the goal of conversation is to lead us into health and maturity as as the body of Christ, as a local. A manifestation of Christ's body mm. uh, in whatever uh, sort of context we're in. I, I really like that um, analogy uh, because, as you had mentioned, the parts of the body, or at least some parts of the body, will help to uh, compensate um, uh, for those that are lacking or struggling. And so, with the fellowship of believers, you might find the same thing where they see some weakness and they want to help and support it and so they you know folks get more involved um say from like a financial perspective i think because a lot of people can understand this you know there may be some folks that are struggling financially um sure and so those that are you know uh not struggling or flourishing would maybe give more to help those that are in need uh, so you see the, that compensation to, to help, uh, and that can happen here with, with conversation as well. And uh, there are even folks, not to get like super meta, but there are folks like yourself who can help uh, people learn how to have better conversations with others and to, um, to realize we can, we can do better than just saying, oh, I'm fine or things are okay um, and sort of leave it at sure. that. You know, we can ask sure. uh, intriguing questions to, to go a little deeper and show people that we really do care uh, to see, you know, to ask, you know, how can I pray for you? Uh, what have you been learning? Those sorts of questions. You can't, when you ask those sorts of questions, I'm fine or I'm okay is not, <laughs> you, you know, a sufficient response. Um, so right, right. <laughs> th- th- that can really help us just go a little deeper to show people that we do care about how, how they're doing, how is their walk with Jesus, um, or if they're not a Christian even, to get us, you know, to uh, to gain people's trust, uh, and hopefully one day that might afford us the opportunity to share the gospel. Um, so conversation and the art and science of it can really help us uh, to to do a lot for for the kingdom, uh, for the health of believers, and for those that are uh, lost uh, seeking um, peace in in the world. Um, yeah, and just. On that note, I, I mean, I think I'd like to add that, especially in this kind of culture, as we've kind of already said, that that doesn't the larger culture doesn't know how to talk together very well. I think one of the, the things that we've learned uh, as we as a church uh, become more mature at, at learning to talk together, uh, we take that with us as we go out into our neighborhood, into our workplaces, into our homes. Uh, and uh, in some senses, uh, we're bearing witness uh, to to the good news, the healing, uh, as we said, of the gospel um, by uh, teaching others to have conversations together and uh, bringing people to the table uh, when conversations need to happen uh, in our workplaces or in our neighborhoods or, or even in our homes. Um, that uh, that uh, part of the good news that we bear is that uh, we can we can talk together, we can learn to talk together, and we can work through uh, difficult uh, circumstances um, uh, in conversation, uh, and uh, I think that's an important uh, sort of witness uh, to to the gospel of peace uh, that we've been called into in Jesus. Yeah, Amen. Great. Hey, uh, Christopher, we've got to take a break here, um, but when we come back, I've got some more questions for you, and some some very practical ones. Like, um, I, I mean, I'm an extrovert, so what about introverts who may not be uh, <laughs> interested? So, so questions of that sort. Uh, we'll take a break here, sure. and, and we've got a couple segments after the break. So, stick with us through this short break from our sponsors. You're listening to Veracity Hill, striving for truth on faith, politics, and society. Evangelical Christians are talking about hell. What if we believe what we believe because we've always believed it? What if the gospel is really a matter of life and death? We want you to open your mind, open your Bible, and rethink hell. At RethinkingHell.com, evangelicals look at what the Bible says about hell, putting conventional and controversial views to the test. Let's say there's this Christian apologist. You love their message, but have trouble finding their videos, their articles, or social media posts. How do you stay connected to them? We're on it. 
Defenders Media uses the tools of the digital age to create content for your favorite apologists. We give them more screen time, more digital soapboxes, and more presence to deliver more of the content that you love. That's what we do. I know that social media is important to those of you who follow my work. Many respond to my videos and posts on Facebook and Twitter. But it becomes impossible after a while to keep up with it all and to continue with research. That's why I'm thrilled that we have found a solution. Defenders Media. Whether it's a website, whether it's printed material, whether it's a question on graphics, I cannot do what I do and reach my audience without the help of Defenders Media. They have been integral in helping me to reach my audience. Defenders Media ensures consistent content reaches your hand from today's leading apologists and apologetic ministries like Mike Lycona, Apologetics 315, the Veracity Hill Podcast with Kurt Jarris, and more. To learn more, text the word DEFENDERS to 555-888, and we'll send you a free PDF of the top five ways to share the gospel online. Thanks for sticking with us through that short break from our sponsors. If you'd like to learn how you can become a sponsor, you can go to our website, veracityhill.com, Click on the Sponsor tab to learn more. We've got uh, a few different sponsorship levels. We'd love to get your uh, support to help promote your organization, your business, uh, your school, um, your ministry, or perhaps a book that you want to help promote on our program. Also, if you really like our program and you just want to chip in a few bucks each month as one of our patrons, we'd love to get your support. Five, ten, twenty dollars or more per month helps to keep the program go and grow here at Veracity Hill, uh, where we are based in the um, uh, offices here at Defenders Media, and it's a great opportunity to, to be here and to be bringing you content week after week. Uh, so on uh, this week, we are taking a break from what's behind Kurt, but if you want to submit a, uh, a picture, an image, uh, please email that to chris at defendersmedia.com, and uh, we'd love to get an image. Uh, I've got a, a green screen behind me here, and we've had a lot of fun. Last week, I guessed it correctly, and so uh, it, I'm like maybe two out of, what do you say, 12 maybe, guys? Two out of 15? I mean, I've gotten a lot wrong. You know, when you only have 15 questions, yeah. usually the game's called 20 questions, guys. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm, I'm a little shorthanded here. But, uh, hey, I'll still take the two that I've gotten right. Okay, um, now joining us on our uh, program today is C. Christopher Smith. He's the author of How the Body of Christ Talks. And, uh, Christopher, before we continue on, we have a segment on the program that we call Rapid Questions. And this is, this is for Uh-oh. you. And uh, they're sort of fun, goofy questions totally unrelated maybe in like one of your you know your your circles at church you know this is like icebreaker type questions if if you would sure uh, so we've got 60 seconds on a game clock here and we're looking to see uh if you can answer as many as you can and uh it's really just fun for us to get to know our guests and we've had some thrilling answers over the years <laughs> <laughs> so some very expected and some very unexpected. So if you're ready, I'm going to start the game clock and we'll get going. All right. All right, here we go. Taco Bell or KFC? Taco Bell. What's your favorite movie? Uh, blah, blah, too hard. Um, of Gods and Men. Uh, Apple or Android smartphone? Apple. Uh, what's your favorite sports team? Uh, the Orioles. Uh, if you could travel in time, would you go backwards or forwards? Probably backwards. Uh, pick a fictional character that you'd like to meet. Fictional character that I'd like to meet. Wow. Um. Uh, Jed Bartlett of the West Wing. Uh, what was the name of your first pet? Uh, oh, Hercules. Um, if you had to sing karaoke, what song would you pick? Oh, um, uh, probably a U2 song, maybe With or Without You. Okay. All right. Very nice. Good, good. Okay. Um, let's (laughs) see. Let's see here. So you said you wanted, uh, to go backward in time. 
Um, so, where would you... <laughs> not where. Well, maybe when and where would you want to go? <laughs> well, I don't know that I'd want to go there, really. Uh, but I am fascinated by the medieval era. Um, uh, certainly, uh, a lot of monastic thinking has been uh, pretty important uh, for me. And kind of the medieval period was kind of the the kind of golden days of the uh, of monasticism. Uh, yeah. So uh, so yeah, probably that. I don't know. I, I did. I was trying not to think too much about it, uh, but uh, uh, but yeah. I, again, I don't know that there's also lots of things that were really difficult about <laughs> about that era too. Uh, so, but as with any era, You're right? Uh, but. Uh, but anyway, yeah. We, we have a tendency to think, oh, I'd like to go back to the, the golden age or whatever, you know, to a, this time we think fondly of. But, like, we don't realize how much we like running water and Tylenol when we have a headache. And, uh, right. You know. <laughs> and how prevalent things like plague and <laughs> so forth were when we're talking about the medieval era. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now, I don't know if you knew this about me. You talked about the monastics um, or, you know, monasticism. My doctoral work was on um, studying early monasticism in uh, southern France in the 5th century. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah. Oh, that's really fascinating. Yeah, I wrote on John Cassian, uh, Vincent of Lorenz and oh, Faustus yeah, sure. of, of Rees. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I had the chance to read the conferences and uh, institutes. and But, okay, but we're getting off track now and, um, <laughs> you know, people are going to start snoozing on us here. Okay, so we're talking about um, – conversation here uh, how the how the body of christ talks and the importance that conversation plays in the uh, the body of christ uh as you noted in the first half of the program christopher this is sort of the central message and, and imagery here um that that you've you have here so i have some uh, practical questions for you um sure i, I clued you in on, on sort of my first one here i'm an extrovert i'm outgoing um now, I like having my quiet time to recharge a little bit, but I, I like meeting new people, total strangers, just having a conversation with them. <laughs> what about those people uh, that identify as introverts? What, what, what would you recommend uh, for them in, in, in your project here? Sure, yeah, that's a good question. And I would say I'm an introvert too, uh, maybe a little bit more moderate one than, than some, uh, but uh, – but for for introverts, I mean, I think, yeah, certainly. I mean, it can be conversation can be difficult. Uh, but just as kind of going back to the metaphor, I mean, we need to recognize that uh, that introvert or extrovert, uh, God has brought us together, uh, and God desires for us to participate in the conversation. Uh, so I talked earlier about kind of breaking into smaller groups. Uh, sometimes that's easier for people that are more introverted. Uh, to be able to uh, be comfortable uh, sharing and talking, uh, so that's one thing. Maybe Another sometimes thing it's harder because they they can't blend. <laughs> sure, yeah, t- true, true. It just depends. Um, uh, but uh, I mean, one of the other things too uh, is that uh, introverts tend to be people who think about things before they say them. Uh, whereas extroverts oftentimes, uh, not always, but oftentimes are just kind of thinking out loud as they go along. Um, and there's virtues to both of those uh, sorts of things. But one of the things uh, that can be helpful is to slow the conversation down, hmm. uh, maybe intentionally take pauses between each person, maybe five seconds of silence or ten seconds of silence. Just that, I mean, there's a lot of good reasons for that. Um uh, just especially if you're trying to be kind of prayerful in your conversation and to be mindful of the fact that God is with us in the conversations, um, kind of taking those sorts of pauses can be helpful. But it also can help those that need a little bit more time to to think and reflect uh, and get their bearings. Um, uh, so slowing the conversation down, I think, is another sort of practical way of kind of uh, making the space a little bit more uh uh, welcoming, hospitable uh, for those who are introverted. Uh, I, I couldn't help when you, when you mentioned sort of uh, leaving leaving the space there, and not that I've ever attended an Alcoholics Anonymous group, um, but it strikes me that you know at least from what I've seen in media, it's something like that <laughs> where where there's this you know time and then someone else will speak up. 
um, and it, a time to reflect. Um, you you call this being prayerful in conversation. Maybe talk to me more about that. What does it look like uh, to be prayerful in conversation? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good question. Um, so, uh, well, certainly, I mean, I think it starts with the conviction that, that God is here with us in the Holy Spirit. Uh, and uh, and we certainly, as a church, uh, believe believe that God is present with us and that uh, God God desires to be known in and among us, and I think that's the nature. The nature of prayer is fundamentally about uh, learning learning to be present uh, and to attentive and attentive to what God wants to do among us. Uh, and so, so I mean, some practically, I mean, for us that be, we begin and end in prayer, um, our time of conversation, but also just tr- the trying to always be mindful of the reality that God is present with us. And hopefully that will give us some pause uh, if we're going to uh, be really harsh with someone that we uh, disagree with. Would we really do that uh, if we are being mindful of the fact that God is present with us and that God created both us and that person that we disagree with? Um, are we going to be so quick to uh, to be harsh or to... Um, uh, to try to cut somebody down mm. um, in some way or uh, some form. Uh, so, uh, and just the sense that uh, that God God wants to lead us, kind of going back to this uh, the idea of the body being a body in motion. Uh, that we're not just here to uh, make each other feel good, uh, but that God is God is up to something, uh, and a part of our work is learning to follow follow in the way that God wants us to go uh, and um, uh, and it's through through prayer through uh, uh, through talking with one another because it's not just I mean it's important for us to have times of prayer and devotion uh, personally uh, but uh, but fundamentally uh, one of the convictions uh, that I think's really been really important for us and really important for me uh, is the fact that the people of God are central to the scriptural story, are the central to what God is doing in the world. And, of course, that started uh, at least as early as Abraham uh, and the promises that God made to Abraham. And, of course, the bulk of the Old Testament story is the story of uh, the Israel, ancient Israelite people uh, and the relationship that God had with them. And kind of uh, then in the New Testament, to use the Apostle Paul's language, uh, the Gentiles were grafted onto the olive tree of Israel, uh, and uh, the uh, the church didn't take the place of uh, Israel, but uh, the church uh, is uh, a fundamental part of uh, of the people of God. Uh, that of this kind of fundamentally social thing that God is doing in the world, uh, and so so we are seeking together to know uh, how God is leading us as a people. Um, and, and so all of those are kind of important dynamics of us uh, learning to come prayerfully together into into our conversations. I want to I want to come back to some of the concepts you talked about there, um, but but first let me ask. Um, you have an appendix here uh, with some sample conversation rules or gr- ground rules, if you will. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> Could you go through some of those? Because some of us, perhaps even myself, we need help. Um, learning how to have better conversations with people. And and something that interests me in particular is that I like to talk about politics with people. Um, I, I don't do so when they're not interested, right? I try to be respectful. But I think that especially evangelical Christians uh, and the more as our nation becomes isolated into these different camps – and some of us, mm-hmm. small a small number of us, don't, just don't fit nicely, at least anymore, maybe in these camps. We, we, <laughs> I don't. That's for sure. Yeah, we we need to help people understand the importance of talking about these issues, but to do so from a place of respect and dignity, uh, not a tribalism, uh, especially for the people of God. You know, we're, we're all believers here, and yet if we never talk about these issues, or if we divide because of one's view on who, who should handle education or something like that, or even whether it should be a, federal, a state or federal, you know, we are preventing ourselves from the enjoyment of fellowship with fellow believers because of these issues, which are 
so non-essential to kingdom work um, mm-hmm. that um, that we need to learn how to have conversations again and to learn that, hey, even if I disagree with you on that, um, uh, we can still play a board game together or we can still talk about how each other's doing. Um, that's so important. And, and we're just – it seems like as every day goes on, we just go further and further apart. So the, the sample conversation <laughs> rules here. Um, please enlighten us and enlighten me uh, so I can be a better steward of having a conversation. Sure. I mean, I think that, um, I mean, I won't kind of step down through those lists. People can uh, look at them in the book. But but basically the idea comes from, actually, in a lot of ways, the, the business world is a lot farther ahead of the church uh, in terms of having conversations. And there's a lot of good uh, work out there. Uh, uh, around the practice of facilitation, facilitating conversations, um, which, I mean, our conversations at Englewood uh, here are uh, are facilitated conversations. We have someone who is kind of guiding us, uh, not kind of guiding us to a particular end, but, but guiding us as we go, making sure that we don't get too far off track and that we are civil enough uh, with one another. Uh, and that's the, that's the function that ground rules play. Uh, uh, and I think ultimately it's important uh, for churches and groups uh, to determine what their own ground rules are going to be. What does it look like for us to have healthy conversations together? And we need to kind of put some parameters on that. Uh, we're not going to yell at each other. We're not going to interrupt people. Uh, we're not going to let people hog the floor. I mean, those those are the types of things uh, that are important to kind of, uh, I mean, in some senses, uh, those are kind of like duh, um, but <laughs> but we've come so far uh, from being able to have healthy conversations together that sometimes it's really good uh, to kind of put those things out on the table, and that's the purpose of ground rules. It's just kind of how do we want to function? How do we want to have conversations together? And how do we how do we do that gracefully? And how do we do that faithfully to uh, what we understand uh, Jesus and the gospel of peace to be? What would be your advice to someone who is um, uh, a member of a church um, and if there are changes coming and they feel like their voice is not being heard or heard enough um, or, you know, really, really understood and listened to, what would be your advice to someone like that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think... Certainly, we need conversation to work through some of the the deepest issues uh, that are kind of fragmenting a lot of churches' uh, questions about sexuality, about uh, marriage and families and and politics in general. Um, But but I think it's it's wrongheaded to try to jump into those sorts of questions as we are beginning conversation. I think if we can find ways to have conversations about anything else, anything that's not quite so inflammatory, uh, we'll build up the capacity and the skills to be able to tackle some of those bigger and uh, deeper and more fragmenting sorts of questions. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, I mean, given the, Given your question, though, I mean, a person in that situation uh, might uh, try to create, I mean, even if they're not uh, on staff at the church, uh, might find find a group of people that uh, have different sorts of perspectives on whatever the question or the issue is, um, and just have a meal together or um, have coffee together and uh, and start talking um again i mean i think there's uh, it's easy to say it's sometimes a lot harder to do especially to assemble a group when it's kind of recognized that people are coming from uh different sorts of perspectives but but i mean that's the that's the sort of work that we're called into um of uh, of being willing to uh, I mean, if we are together as a ch- as part of a church and recognize each other as brothers and sisters, uh, then we really do need to kind of do do the sort of 
family work of 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 having conversations and working through uh, difficult things together. Um, and so, and I think it's possible, and I've certainly seen cases in which, I mean, again, it may not be kind of like a whole church sort of conversation as we do here at Englewood, uh, but uh, but to be able to have some of those conversations that aren't just kind of uh, fueling the sort of tribalism, it's not just kind of getting people that are in a lot of ways like me uh, together uh, to to uh, kind of pat each other on the back, uh, but, but really trying to... Uh, bring together people of different ages, of different perspectives, of people who may have come from uh, different uh, sorts of church or theological backgrounds, grown up in different types of churches and have different uh, nuanced sort of perspectives on things. Um, I mean, that's that's the, the context in which con- conversations can be, be most transformative for us, is to, to actually uh, be in a space where... Uh, where people are have some degree of of difference. Yes. So in any church, there is uh, diversity of beliefs and opinions. Mm-hmm, no doubt. Whether whether that's about political or social views, I mean, down to like who should change the light bulb, you know, a type of conversations. <laughs> so, some church on church governance, um, uh, capital and, campaigns. And the- Diversity of age, yeah. Uh, almost any congregation. I mean, I've certainly there's kind of a lot of these kind of young uh, church plants that are mostly young people or young families, but but more established churches, you're going to have um, uh, a, a diversity of age, uh, and yeah. that that brings that brings challenges. Um, Even uh, and. Uh, and it's good, and we benefit uh, when we can learn to talk and be in relationship uh, with those of of different generations than we are. Right, and, and diversity of experience. Someone's been at that church longer than another. Um, mm-hmm. That doesn't, oh, yeah, absolutely. doesn't necessarily mean that the person's idea is a good one, uh, or maybe it does because they know more about the church than the, than the newbie. Um, so yeah. all of that said, so given that diversity of experiences and opinions and beliefs, etc., and the range of that, how is it that Christians can cultivate a sense of mission and identity in spite of that diversity? Or maybe because sure. of? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great question. I think one of the things, one of the... So one of the chapters early on in the book about kind of the dynamics of conversation, I uh, introduce uh, several uh, what I would call uh, conversational methods or techniques, um, which are, can be ways. Again, I, I'm hesitant to suggest that people kind of use these as the only way that they talk together, uh, but for certain types of conversations, they can be really helpful. But one of the one of the methods that I talk about in that chapter is called appreciative inquiry. Um, and it's a method for organizations of kind of uh, – we were talking uh, earlier about kind of the, the role of history and kind of looking backwards and looking forwards. Um, but appreciative inquiry kind of sits between those two and kind of looks back at the past of an organization and says, what, what has gone well? What are, what are those times in our past where we've had a lot of energy, where we've been really alive? And how, do, how can we draw on those experiences to kind of drive us into the future? And I think some sort of mindset, I mean, uh, like that, it doesn't necessarily have to be kind of rigidly uh, adhering to kind of the appreciative inquiry framework, uh, but that sort of mindset that there have been good things that have gone on. We Even, even a struggling congregation uh, has had times in its past when things have gone really well, when God has uh, really blessed a, a congregation, uh, and uh, to remember those times and to be grateful for those times and to to maybe allow those times to kind of give us some imagination for how we might move forward, how God um, might continue to to guide us even when we're kind of all over the map uh, in terms of what we what we think or what we think should be done. Um, so I, I think that's one of the things uh, to uh, to really uh, have some gratitude. Uh, for the ways that God has led us in the past, mm. uh, and uh, uh, and to look back and see kind of maybe where we were at a 
100 years ago or 20 years ago or whatever, depending on the age of the congregation. Sure. Uh, but then maybe where we were five years ago or 10 years ago uh, and see to see a little bit of God's faithfulness uh, in guiding the congregation. And I think that can go a long way uh, to uh, helping us to trust that God will continue to to lead us and to guide us uh, into whatever whatever is next for us as congregations. Great. Awesome. Uh, this has been a wonderful opportunity to learn more about at least what I've called here the art and science of conversation. Uh, and you have lived it out uh, in, in, in your community. Um, as you mentioned in the, in the first half, two of the program, even down to the, the businesses that um, either the, the members or the church itself has started, uh, how to have con- good conversations. So it's, a, it's great um, um, for the body of believers and for non-Christians as well, for Christians to know how to have good conversations. So I want to thank you for your um, um, your, your advice, your, uh, your experience, uh, the input that you can have from many people. Let me ask you this as a final question. So someone like yourself sure. who, who is uh, writing many books, um, typically you're already on another project now. Uh, so is there something that you're writing on presently or you want to write about in the near future? Yeah, I don't know. I've actually kind of intentionally taken a break uh, from writing books uh, for the time being. I probably will eventually again. Um, but I've had three books come out in the last five years, um, uh, and uh, which is a lot. It's fairly fast. And I think there's a lot of good work to do in kind of kind of seeding a lot of the ideas and the stories in the books uh, in uh, congregations uh, across North America. Uh, so I'm putting a little bit more energy into that and kind of um, – uh, uh, kind of helping others to kind of catch the vision of, of those uh, three books. Uh, but also, um, I am thinking about, I mean, kind of in terms of conversation, uh, really uh, trying to help, especially this being an election year, uh, I've been thinking about doing some shorter pieces uh, about uh how we can be uh, more conversational, especially within our churches, mm. uh, uh, in a season when uh, we are being the Divided. forces of politics are, are pulling <laughs> us apart. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's great. So, I'll, I'll, you're telling me I should be on the lookout for like a consulting firm uh, starting up? See Christopher Smith Consulting? <laughs> <laughs> well, not not really, but I do I do work with uh, congregations across North America, kind of helping to cultivate uh, deeper life together. Uh, So I co-wrote a book, but the first of those three books I just mentioned was called Slow Church, Um, and it's kind of been the the best known of the the three books, and uh, uh, and kind of the the central to that book is this idea that that we need to slow down and uh, really focus on uh, being the church together, being a body together, kind of going back to that body sort of metaphor, Uh, and conversation is kind of one of the fundamental ways that that we do that. So that's kind of a lot of the work that I do with, with congregations and denominations is really kind of uh, helping them to, uh, uh, to, uh, to recognize the reality uh, that, uh, that God has called us into being, being the people of God. Um, and, uh, and how, do, how does that get worked out uh, in the, the day-to-day uh, and year-to-year sorts of relationships that we have? Wonderful. Again, see Christopher Smith, How the Body of Christ Talks, uh, put out by Brazos Press. Uh, it's really about recovering the practice of conversation in the church. And uh, we will be sure to put a link at our website uh, for those that want to purchase it. Uh, so, again, thank you so much for coming on the program today. Thanks, Kurt, for having me. It's been the light. Good. God bless you. Well, that does it for our show today. I'm grateful for the continued support of our patrons and the partnerships that we have with our sponsors. They are Defenders Media, Consult Kevin, The Sky Floor, Rethinking Hell, the Illinois Family Institute, and Fox Restoration. I want to thank our technical producer, Chris, for all the fine work that he does, for our communications associate, Mark, for the work that he does in scheduling and and getting announcements out about the program. And I want to thank our guest, C. Christopher Smith, uh, for his uh, very intriguing, thoughtful, and uh, winsome approach to to conversation and the importance that it plays for Christians uh, in our lives today. But last and certainly not least, I want to thank you for listening in and for striving for truth on faith, politics, and society. 
You've been listening to Veracity Hill, striving for truth on faith, politics, and society. This is a listener-supported program. For more resources, including past shows, visit veracityhill.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.